PISO stands for titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. In other words, their commitment to mineral sun protection is right in the name. Tizo is known for having a unique line of all mineral sunscreens with different textures and finishes that cater to every skin type and tone. Sunscreen application may seem burdensome, but with Tizo, it doesn't have to be. Their sunscreens have been meticulously crafted to seamlessly fit into your daily routine. Whether it is saving a step in the morning with an SPF that doubles as a makeup primer, or giving your skin a glow before running errands, Tizo has you covered. All Tizo sun protection formulas have broad spectrum protection and are 100% free of chemical sunscreens, dyes, parabens, gluten, preservatives, fragrances, and phthalates. Check out Tizo's mineral sunscreens and so much more at TizoSkin.com. That's T-I-Z-O Skin.com. Shop with code LISTEN10 to receive 10% off your first order. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. There's some damsels in the DM. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah we see them, yeah we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them, we just leave them. Please, yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, damsels. Welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Alejandro, of course. <laughs> and, and I'm Ash. And today we have... We are blessed to be joined with Jessica Jackson, the founder of Detroit's first bed and breakfast called Copper House Detroit. And an amazing visibility activist, community activist, community architect. Jess, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Can you uh, tell our listeners first what a community architect is? Yeah, so... Um, I started my career in in advocacy work, right? So I worked in education doing a lot of um, equity access within education, um, which gave me a framework and a pedagogy to work from, right? So I have a science behind what I'm doing in community um, and, and what I've been able to cultivate in Detroit with the legal recreational marijuana market um, is kind of taking some of those pillars, some of those practices around equity um, and applying them to community development and community organizing. So I like to say I'm a community architect because I build community around um, pillars, around things that matter, around substance, around ethics, around um, what equity should look like. Um, and so that's there's a science behind it. There's, there's some measured approach to what I'm doing. That's awesome. How did you get started in all of this? It sounds like what you're working on is so cool. I want to visit. And I mean, I'm not much of a smoker, but we're just talking about this. I was like, I think I'm going to smoke tonight. And then we got into the conversation about you. Um, But yeah, how did you get into all of this and all of your endeavors? Yeah, so I finished. Well, my sorority sister is actually in L.A. and she launched a a cannabis um, a cannabis uh, carrying 
case. It's called Apothecary. It's a humidor for uh, cannabis connoisseurs. Um, and as she was marketing her new product, she started sharing her story around using cannabis to treat anxiety, how she used it for her mental health and therapeutic purposes in her career as a producer, and, and just um, started to normalize and destigmatize cannabis for me in a different way using different language, right? Um, I have always been a consumer of cannabis. Uh, my, my friends, and I, that's how I met some of my best friends. Um, so I think that uh, I it started to portray to me a different side of the industry, right? And, and a different part of the conversation regarding marijuana. Um, and I was in my last semester of my MBA. And one of the capstone projects was to look into different industries that were of interest to you. Um, and one of my core values is justice. So I'm constantly thinking about ways that we should repair the harms caused by um, disenfranchisement, marginalization, um, oppression, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so yeah. I, as I thought about cannabis as an industry that actually has opportunities to do that, both from the criminal justice perspective, right? We can right some wrongs with uh, uh, expungement, but also from just racial equity and ensuring that black and brown folks who have been disproportionately criminalized for this prop, for this plant has uh, more access to the industry. And so um, I got started by doing some advocacy. That's what I was good at. I started going to conferences. I went to spaces that were centering women within the industry. Um, I started to get on social media, which is what um, I met a business partner. We'd now do social media management for uh, cannabis brands. Um, and then I always wanted to, to hold space, right? Like I think mm -hmm. that... Um, even as I think about my own identity development, space and community have been so key to who I am. Um, and there isn't really safe space um, right now for cannabis consumers as we don't have a fully developed market, right? So we can go to bars and have a drink. We can go um, we can go to restaurants and have a drink. We can convene around alcohol very easily, but there's not really... Um, that same environment yet for cannabis. And so my wife and I just opened our home um, and we started one inviting tourists through Airbnb. They have an overnight stay where if they're engaging in the recreational market, they have a safe space where they can rest. Um, and two, we as a queer identified couple wanted to make sure that the spaces that you are staying in feel welcoming um, to who you are in your whole self. Um, and we knew from our own engagement um, in Europe, like how, like we stayed in a hostel and it was intimidating to like, just be affectionate together. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to be sure that there's a space in Detroit that if a queer couple was traveling, there were cannabis consumers, they would have a space where they could be themselves. Um, and then we also host like content production, you know, social media that you said you like the plan, the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. set. Um, That's where so, it's from. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, we do we that that's kind of how we got started. I've just been learning as much as possible about the industry and and what it has to offer and have been doing um, both the the organizing side of things, the holding space, um, advocacy for expungement and working with National Expungement Week and just trying to get a very holistic perspective of the industry. And now um, I'm pursuing licensure. So uh, we'll see. That's the next venture. <laughs>
That's really cool. Seems like you have a full plate of really cool adventures coming up. Um, so, uh, Copper House, Detroit. Um, are you? Is it like? An, so you're saying it's an Airbnb experience? Is it on air? Is it on Airbnb experiences, or is it its own thing? Yeah, it's. I am listed on Bud and Breakfast only right now. Okay. Um, we wanted to exclusively prioritize platforms that center on the cannabis industry and the cannabis yeah. community. Um, we were hosted on Airbnb. Uh, we took our, our listing down. But yeah, it's very, something very similar. You can actually go to copperhousedet.com and just book straight from our website. Um, but yeah, we are so cool. an overnight stay. You can also book an experience. Um, we have caterers that when you purchase your cannabis from a licensed dispensary, we can infuse oil and have a personal chef prepare a meal for you what? Um, we have, we have partners <laughs> with vendors where we do like massage um so we have a massage therapist that uses like cbd massage oil um we have done sound bath healing we've done um parties like whatever we can create in the space we've done a wedding we've had an elevated elopement yeah what i love about what you're sharing though is like it really celebrates the community. Like, yes, you are creating this space for, you know, individual and even like partner opportunities to kind of relax and Mm -hmm. escape, but you're also bringing in community members to share what they're excited to celebrate with the community with. Is this this like self-perpetuating cycle of goodness? Uh, Can you share with us, um, since you did mention your wife, Cara, can you share with us uh, and our listeners how you two met and how that your relationship started and flourished? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think the community is a core pillar, right? Like um, I met Kara in my first job outside of college. Um, I was a college advisor. Um, so helping um, students get to and through college, but it was a small kind of um it wasn't a large city and I am from Detroit and, and I am used to like city environments. And it also is, was quite rural, like rural Michigan. Um, so when we think of the queer community in that space, it was very small and hard to locate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the the way that I met her was online and the, the fun, um, I don't know if anybody, I, this might be a little bit aging myself, but downlink. Um, it was like a gay MySpace. Um, and we met on downlink and she sent me a message. Um, <laughs> she sent me a message because she had been, I had at the time red hair, like, um, like fire engine red hair. And I was pretty, I'm tall. I'm like six foot tall. Um, and so I was, pretty easy to identify in a small town, right? Like (laughs) I was also uh, masculine presenting. So I was like a butch lesbian that was pretty big with red hair, right? Like people, like I was easy to spot in a crowd in this small town. Um, And so she messaged me. I was like, I've been seeing you around. She's (laughs) at the gym. She saw me like leaving work. um, And uh, we started talking and I never met up with her. Um, and then she finally was like, uh, I would like to get dinner or hang out as friends. And so then we finally met up. Um, and honestly, we've been glued at the hip ever since. It was like we had that first date. And I tell people this. I really didn't like her personality that much. Oh, 
really attractive to me. I like really thought she was pretty. She was mean. She's like kind of like, okay, I'm a cancer. So I am a cancer through and through soft, soft. Kara is a Capricorn. Capricorn through and through Capricorns are earth signs and very um, traditional. Um, I'm a cancer. It's a water sign and we go with the flow, right? Like we're, and so. I dated a cancer and I wouldn't say that about cancer. (laughs) (laughs) We are. We feel, I mean, unless you, you hit us the wrong way and then we go into our shell. But the, the, she is very, so she just lectured me the whole time. Um, and she, it, it went like that for a few dates. And then, and then we had some like things um, that it, we just were glued at the hip ever since. So we went on that first date um, and then we hung out every day after that. And then um, we kept dating. And then by January, so we had, we started dating in November and by January she agreed to like, move across the country with me to go because I had gotten into Teach for America. So we're very, and we've been together for a decade Um, and we've grown together, right? Like she's gone to school. I've gone to school. We like, I feel like we've grown up together. That's so amazing. Can you tell us your engagement story? Yeah. So we have a double engagement. Um, I proposed to her in Europe, um, Mm -hmm. in Paris. Um, I had all of our Yeah, it was, you know, I wanted a story. I am a, (laughs) I I like grand gestures. Um, But she, I had all of my friends. I think you're in the, I think you're in the book, Alejandro. Um, Yes. (laughs) You made a page, I think, in the. Yes, I did. All my friends made. So I started the book with like, my adventure before her and so like that was like my friends and family kind of spoke to who I was and then I did like her adventure um before me and I had her friends and family kind of make um pages for her and then it was like our adventure together and it was like an adventure book from up um and so she as she's like going through this and we're where I got her tickets to um Mulan Moulin Rouge. Um, and so as we're like going over to, to, to this area, um, she's kind of going through the book. She's going through the book. Um, and the last page, like, and I was like, so I have a question to ask you and all our friends agree. And then there's like all these, cause we're in Europe and our friends can't really be there. Um, and they have like all these thumbs up picture. And then the last, uh, pages like will you marry me and 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 we were outside of Moulin Rouge by the time she got to that page but it was uh that was yeah that's how we got engaged the first proposal and then the second proposal because she got a ring but I I didn't let her sleep until I got my ring Um, It was, we got, she did kind of like the 12 days. So the we started dating in November and like the first time um, I told her that I loved her was around Christmas. Um, and so it was a Christmas themed engagement and we had like the 12 days of, of love sort of thing. And she had all of my friends and family kind of read me poems that she had clipped. And then outside of the place where I had first told her that I loved her, um, she proposed to me. And so it was like a really nice, yeah. And it was romantic. That's so cute. Yeah. It was definitely, 
I, I get to live in a fairy tale because I found my partner and I found my partner pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, I, I think that like this kind of relates to finding my own identity, right? Like um, I, I met Cara before I really knew who I was or even embraced who I was. And mm-hmm. so like, I think that when you're in partnership with people, you have to like, really be open and willing to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I've been blessed with having a stable, um, consistent lover who like accepts me wherever I am in my journey. And so I would say that as I think about my own journey of like becoming who I am, accepting who I am in my body, accepting who I am in my identity, it, it goes back to that community, right? Like, and yes, Kara is my life partner and I'm, I'm, really blessed to have that with her. Um, but I also have so many people that have poured into me and nurtured me and like affirmed me. And like, um, so when I think about being my own person of who I am, a lot of it has to do with the people who were, when I was laying on the couch, depressed and not wanting to like continue my life at moments, right? Like that's a very real lived experience for me. Um, getting me off the couch, even if it was just to go for a walk, or even if it was just to, to go. One of my friends, we were trying to steal trees. Like she was like, I need your help getting this tree out of the ground. And so like, I literally, I was like, I, I was about to have to call a hotline today and you got me out of the house to help you with this thing. Um, and so when I think about my journey and I still think I'm on a journey, right? Like we're all, on a journey. Um, it really is about access to support from and membership within community for me. Um, And I I think that, I think that that's how I want to do everything. I want to center my businesses on community. I want to center the work that I do on community. Um, And I really want to amplify communities that are often um, underserved and undervalued. Um, And so those are the, that's kind of like my partnership and my, my journey. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Can you tell us more about, um, cause you didn't mention body positivity. Um, can you, so we know you're a huge activist um, for the LGBTQ plus community and for body positivity. Could you talk a little bit more about that and how you kind of paved your way to get to where you are right now um, being an activist for those communities? Yeah, I think honestly, it's, it boils down to not seeing myself in anything, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, I, I, I can, okay, I'm in cannabis. I don't, first of all, I don't see black people. Where are you? Where are you as leaders, right? Like in this industry. And then like, oh, there's, and when we do have, there's like no women, right? Like where mm-hmm. are the women and, and where are the queer women and where are the fat queer women? So it's like constantly like, where do I see myself reflected in the spaces that I occupy? Um, and when I don't see that, that means that there are other people who 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 are like me, who who might be more melanated than me, who might have different experiences that don't get to see themselves reflected, and yet we're trying to sell stuff to them. And so I I think that. Um, that's why I say I'm a visibility activist, right? It's about recognizing the value that folks who don't fit a certain aesthetic have 
to all of this, um, both from a, a healing space, right? Like it's about recognizing the value that I have within myself, but also from a, just like a brand development space, right? Like that is an audience. That is someone who uh, will engage with your brand um, and they have value to you. Um, and you should demonstrate that and demonstrate that to them. Um, so a lot of my work has been centered on getting access and um, seeing myself reflected in um, systems, right? And at tables, um, in marketing. Um, and so I, st I started with a photo shoot. Um, it was really just about convening um, fat or, or uh, plus size or curvy women who consumed mm -hmm. cannabis. We all got together. We wore some lingerie. It was the first time I had worn lingerie publicly. I had not, I, I, I had not shown that much of my body ever in public space. Um, and it, we hung out all day. It was like a brunch experience. We got our makeup done. Um, it was just, we smoked a like it you, and it was different types of consumption methods, but like in yourself and you were kind of nude. Like I literally was almost nude. And so <laughs> just be comfortable in yourself, you know, mm -hmm. like you had to just be like, and it made me, and there was one moment that was like really amazing. I was like hating on myself. Right. Cause we all do that. And I was like, I hate this part of my body, whatever. Do you, what do you think? I was talking to someone that was there with me and she was like, yeah, I don't have that same problem, but I really hate this part of my body. And then it just was like, Oh, we all have different bodies and we're all just like, working in our own heads and up against society to assess. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so like, for me, it's just about how can we help folks get along faster? Cause okay, now I get it. I, I accept that I'm fat. I accept that my body looks differently. I need other people to like accept that as well. And so like, it's about that message as well. Like how do we now start to dismantle some stuff and get people to recognize those things? Um, and it's the same with, I think that in the LGBT community, we're a little farther along in advocacy and acceptance. Um, I think that our trans siblings have um, need a lot of support and love, um, especially in the Midwest. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think that it, I, um, I know that, I had to, I moved to the East Coast for marriage equality, right? Like Cara and I had to move out of the Midwest in order to get legally married. Um, and so it's not that far, like that, this safe, this moment of safety that I feel right now um, in my sexual orientation is not, uh, it's not lost on me that it wasn't so long ago that like I couldn't be, I couldn't exist legally in this state. Um, and so, and our, the voters in this state determined that. Mm -hmm. And so like that really, when I think about what my city needs, what my, I think about just being a courageous model for mm -hmm. what living in yourself can be for other folks, because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to accept yourself, embrace yourself, and just be um, when society is kind of telling you that you're not right or you're broken. And sometimes it doesn't even have to go so far as society. It could be as close as family and perhaps even friends yeah. at a certain point, you know, mm -hmm. in a certain person's life. So I really, I agree with you. It definitely has a lot to do with like the self. It has to start within and really just allowing that to like radiate and 
spread. But I'm as I'm curious though, you know, like as tragedies continue to unleash disproportionate pain and suffering, how have you and Cara helped each other and your community, you know, stay motivated to keep moving forward? Yeah. And I man, I think that this I think that we have learned how to survive some of the most like we shouldn't have to right the realities that we survive and thrive Mm -hmm. are realities that are unjust and just this should not we shouldn't have to witness the level and intensity of black pain and suffering that we do right we shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to endure backstepping policy that like is gonna shift and change people's lives like we shouldn't have like there's just a lot of things that's not right and i think the first way that we hold space for each other is owning the fact that this sucks Mm -hmm. like this sucks it sucks and it can it can feel heavy right and it can and there are some days that i'm not able to be productive just because i'm i'm focused on you know like a trial, you know, that's going right. to, you know, like there's going to be. And so I think that um, holding space for community should be being responsive to whatever they need in that moment, even if that is not a pretty optimistic thing. Right. Um, even if it means that we're just going to cry together. So we, we, um, and this, you know, has been years in the making, but like, um, we like we would hope we would hold moon ceremonies um, for releasing bonfires, community convenings. Um, the pandemic got in the way of some of those things, but we we moved some of the spaces virtually. Um, we will we have um, we have started like really focusing on what we can create um, safely for people, whether that be content production where we do um, smaller, smaller scale content development. We've done um, organizing for um, like policy that's equitable, right? Um, we've done different events that benefit um, philanthropies like National Expungement Week that serve um, communities that have been unjustly harmed. Um, and we really center on healing and space and boundaries and really um, normalize what care can look like, whether that means like, hey, I'm going to have a sleepover with my friend who has been in a depressive episode for months because they need to hold space. They need to be around people and they need to know that they're cared for, even though they are in a a moment where their brain is telling them to isolate. Um, I'm going to make sure that I'm supporting like local businesses to ensure that they can stay open. Right. Right. I'm going to make sure that I'm educating at my, I developed an entire curriculum on cultivating racial equity in the workplace um, and have started developing a, a DEIB strategy framework for the business and what that looks like. Um, and for and the make, listeners who might not be familiar with that acronym, <laughs> break that down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, oh. So diversity work really is around rehumanizing, right? It's about 
making sure that we can hold um, folks that come from marginalized identities in their humanity and hold space for that. And so um, equity is about dismantling like systemic harms, right? Like there have been barriers upon barriers for groups to access. So like, how can we advance? We have to remove the barriers and, and advance equity in that way. But belonging is about like membership and feeling a part of and ensuring the environment values you um, and that your voice is heard um, and that you feel safe, psychologically safe, physically safe. Um, and so uh, I like to, to tie all those. I think we have an idea, um, but belonging is about how can we be at doing this together? Um, and so really, I think that for folks who hold marginalized identities, now is the time to be practicing and cultivating a, a level of care. Um, and um, really, if it's not your expertise to be doing work in advancing justice, I feel like it's not our job to do that right now because this mm -hmm. sucks. Right. And, yeah. so, and the folks that want to advance justice have to figure out who to partner with, um, how to organize and how to how to how to do the work. Um, but I would say for for marginalized folks, we got to take care of ourselves however we need it. For me, yeah, that's overproductive. <laughs> but some mental, people. Yeah. <laughs> mental health is so important, especially right now with these. I mean, it's been important for a long time because with marginalized communities, you know, like it sucks. It really does suck. And that is the one thing that we can we have more control over that we should be taking care of. Um, but. I do want to take it back to um, your upbringing and just, you know, like who you are as a person. And if you feel comfortable, um, you're just your story of your coming out and just becoming this badass person that you are today. <laughs> I appreciate that affirmation. Um, I, I think about this all the time because I have, I hold a lot of privilege, right? Like I hold a lot of privilege identities. Um, even as I think about, um, so I think about who I am as a culmination of a lot of different experiences, right? Because in one aspect of my life, um, I grew up with a parent who was able to provide a certain livelihood for me that got me to a certain place, right? And I think that there were some benefits from my upbringing in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went on to go to like one of the top universities in the country and like got a certain level of education is able to speak a certain way that gets people to hear me. I present as light skinned. Um, and so I, I know that I have navigated um, life with a lot of access mm -hmm. and, I, and I owned that and I recognize that um, that. But also I've navigated life with um, difficulty and humility, right? In addition to being, um, you know, might having like light skin access, I navigated in a fat body, a fat, large female body, right? And what that meant for me in proximity to safety. Um, although I, I um, and so I, I, I don't say this in like, there's a hierarchy of oppression here, but I think that I've had to learn to navigate my life humbly, um, because of some of my positionality, some of my intersections, right? Like um, the first time I 
dated a, a woman or the first time I kissed a girl, I was 12. And so I knew in that yes. moment when I was 12 years old, <laughs> that I was not like everybody else. And so, and I, it was, it was a, I was, yes, I was experimenting very sexually with my friend at 12 years old. <laughs> um, and, and I, I like that, that, like the being gay thing is like, I was ready to take the leap at 12. So like, I, I, I guess that I was ready. Um, but I also held it and did not come out of the closet until I was 23. So like, yeah, like oh. even like, right. Like I was, and I was out on campus because, you know, like you could be out on campus and yeah. not out at home, but yeah. like, I didn't come out until I was 23 and I cut off. Alejandro, cut off all my hair. <laughs> the year I came out, he cut off all my hair. <laughs> and, and like, I I was like, this is who I am. <laughs> like, um, and so that was like, you know, 11 years to embrace who I was. Um, and so I, 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 I think that I have, so when I think about what makes me the courageous person I am today, it's about being nurtured in an environment that gave me access to positive development, whether it be, I never had to struggle. Um, I, I met that last lower level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like mm -hmm. I was able to have shelter food, like those things. Um, and because I had some, some of that, the difficulties I've been able to navigate, um, and kind of stay positive within it, um, even when it when it's when it's been hard. Um, so yeah, I I <laughs> the first time I interacted with a girl I was twelve, and then I came out when I was twenty three. Um, I also grew up in a very religious household, um, and so my grandmother I did not come out to until I was damn near married to Kara. So <laughs> I. I, even though I was fully out everywhere, I didn't come out into my grandma until like I almost was. I was like, Grandma, I'm engaged to a woman. I'm going to be getting married. I'm going to send you this. I'd like you to send me a gift. Like that was like essentially what I said to her. Very matter of fact, like yes. there's no opinion needed in this situation. I was like, you might not support this, but I'm about to start a life and I need, I need your support as my grandma who's always done this for me. Like that. Yeah. Um, and She's she's come a longer way. She still calls Cara my roommate. Um, <sighs> Man. Yeah, my friend. It's all about, like, finding the balance of, like, where can I positively try this out so that I can accept it and, and embrace it in myself, right? Like, so with Curvy Cannabis, I tried out lingerie in a group setting. I, like, got comfortable with myself. In, in college when I was ready to come out, right? Because I didn't come out until I was 23. So that was after I graduated. Um, I But I had a huge community of queer folks. Like I was in the gay scene. Um, and so like being in gay space gave me confidence to be fully who I am. Um, and still, I think it's about like having those affirmative spaces to try it out, make sure that you feel comfortable and that there's someone there to affirm you and let you know that you're on the right track. Yeah. That's very important. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Oh my God. It's like you're creating a movement, honestly. Yeah. Like 
the training, like your involvement in education, and even with loud social marketing, you know, it's like you really are creating a shift in like the consciousness that should have already been in place. But mm-hmm. here we are, and you're taking these amazing steps to make sure that you know there is representation for everyone, that no one feels like invisible yeah. because they, they can't see themselves in their surroundings mm-hmm. uh, that is the coolest thing ever and i totally hear you as far as when you told your grandma like okay it is what it is because i don't think i ever like officially had like a conversation with my grandma like hey this is me that like i think that and i never i was never really in a relationship before i moved out here to california so like i never had the opportunity to like bring anyone home but uh, for my dad's Six, yeah, 60th uh, birthday party. My boyfriend came with me. We went, he ca- and like, I mean, there were f- certain relatives where I was just like, I had, mm. I remember how certain conversations happened years and years ago. So I don't know how this is going to go, but mm-hmm. this is where I connected with you when you were saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm not asking for anything. I'm sharing with you, like, this is my life. This is who I am having in my life. Like, would you like to be a part of this or not? Hey, it was a really cool and beautiful moment because like, I guess another thing that I noticed in that experience was like, there I didn't really have to worry about all that I was concerned about, but yeah, it's amazing to see that growth and to know that we can be a part of the change. We can start that change with the people that we hold closest to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's time for us to get to the letter. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read that and we want to take it apart and get your perspective on what sort of advice you can give this listener. So dear damsels, I am a POC listener and I'm really excited to see your new hosts as I think it'll add a great perspective to the podcast. I'm writing to you as I have been in a relationship with a white man and it was going great up until the recent racial turmoil happening in our country. I just don't feel like he understands my perspective as a Black woman and the gravity of how the world's events affect me. I'm worried I can no longer be with him because there will always be a part of my identity that feels left out of our relationship. Is this relationship salvageable or do I have to be with someone who's more understanding of my perspective? Love always. Whitewashing my rainbow mind. All right. What sort of... Feedback to you. I really appreciate this letter. So I, I am a biracial woman of color. So I have a white mom and a black father, um, or I had a black father before he passed. Um, so I think this, and I have experienced the same distance in my white, my connection with my white family right now, because there is, um, there is something that they don't have to see that is so pervasive in in my life in the life of my community um and it is it is hurtful and feels tr- re-traumatizing for it to feel denied um and not a part of their uh experience and accountability right so I can empathize deeply with what it feels like to love someone who 
is either dismissive, oblivious, or um, flat out in denial of your reality um, as a person of color. Um, And that is really devastating and heartbreaking. My hope and aspiration is because I, I love, like, I'm talking my mother, right? Like, I love my mother. Um, and I I would never want to, I am estranged from her right now. We are um, not speaking. But I, I am slowly making moves to heal and restore that relationship. So I would, I am hopeful that we can have cross-racial relationships as we learn. Because the problem is not, with the ignorance, right? Um, We are socialized in an environment that allows us to be ignorant. Mm -hmm. Like uh, he hasn't had to learn about this. He hasn't Mm -hmm. had to grapple with racial justice issues because he is blinded by his privilege. What um, what is the issue is if you you don't take the steps to learn, um, to listen and empathize and understand. And then the, the one of the frameworks that I'm now reading about that like um, is from a community organizer in Detroit and it's around recentering humanity. So it's a, it's a co-liberator model instead of being um, like, I need an ally in this, right. That kind of makes that kind of removes the severity of this issue from their humanity. Right. And so this model calls for an understanding of how our humanities are tied up. Um, And when you're a co-liberator, you recognize that our liberation is connected um, and that the only way that um, I can fully be in my humanity is to recognize is to recognize and and make sure that you can can be in yours. Um, And so I would start with finding a framework that you both buy into, learning together. If this is someone you're in relationship with that you love, that you want to continue being in relationship with, um, I would say that it is worth the investment to go through that education together so that you have a framework, uh, a vernacular, um, you can talk about it together. Um, and then if the person is resistant to learning with you, then you know that they're not worth your investment or time because they're not willing to honor your 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 humanity and how your humanity is tied up in them. So I would say, um, I, I, I would hope that the relationship is salvageable and that this partner would be willing to educate and learn with you. Um, I would hope that you would um, be wanting to, to, to offer that time because people of color don't have to, like we don't have to educate white people. Nope. Um, and, but when you're in a relationship and you love them, maybe you make a little sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you don't have to. And that's where you have to like, like for me and my mama, I, I'm gonna make a little sacrifice, right? Like that's my mom. Uh, but if this person isn't, isn't there, then, then maybe it's not salvageable. Yeah. And I think this conversation is one of the most important conversations that interracial couples should have in the beginning of their dating career or dating life, because I know that I have been in, you know, just relationships with white men. And it's just, 
it's like your whole, my whole skin color and culture and my background is just overlooked, you know, like I'm, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, there's a lot more there and, and the way that they treat white women and like white women's experiences are way different to women of color. And like what we go through the stuff that like day to day, like the things that they say can be very damaging to the relationship where they would be saying that to like a white woman because they haven't had those experiences to feel the same way. So, yeah, I think it's a very important conversation that if you are white people, if you are going to get into a relationship with a person of color, be educated, like do that and educate, like, you know, educate yourself, like for the person that you love, for the person that you want to be with. And obviously for the whole country and like other people of color, but especially for the person that you're going to be in a relationship with. And I think to add to that, it's really important to be open to listening. Mm -hmm. In addition to educating yourself, you really have to come from a place of understanding and openness to really comprehend the other person's experience. And the only way to do that is by listening. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like to say that creatives or like I do design work um, because we get so much feedback on our creative process, right? Like we're constantly getting reviews. We're, we're, we're set for justice work. Yeah. Yeah. We're comfortable with being criticized. We're Mm -hmm. comfortable with, cause we know that it will lead to a much better end product. We just have to be creative. We have to, we have to, we have to embrace that creative mindset and be Cause even though I have all these intersectional experiences that put me on a marginalized, um, spectrum, right? I'm still not a dark-skinned Black woman. I don't navigate that experience. I might get it wrong sometimes when talking about that. And so I try not to, or I still am not, I'm still cis, uh, right? And so like, I'm cisgender, meaning I uh, live in my gender assigned to me at birth, right? So I have privilege around my gender identity. Um, so when it comes to trans issues, I, I, I would never intentionally cause harm but I'm going to mess up in, yeah. in areas that change identity politics change consistently. Um, and so when I do, I have to be ready to receive the feedback and I have to be ready to listen to the feedback and I have to be ready to do my own education in order to restore the harm that I caused and not do it again. And if we can just embrace that mindset and like, know that like, I'm, I'm going to mess up not because I'm a bigot and I'm just going to be an asshole or I'm going to be, you know, but like, because I am learning new experiences in this world and want to create space for them. Um, and really that's, that's the mindset, like be ready for feedback, be ready yeah. to mess up and be ready for feedback. Absolutely. Be open to it, you mm-hmm. know, learn from it, open to it, open, be open to it and just grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us from Copper House to Loud Social, tell us how we can find you, book a spot at uh, Copper House on Button. Go ahead. Tell Pimp us yourself you out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can find me at I am just human. So I am just human on Instagram. You can find Copper House at Copper House. D-E-T, so Copper House Detroit. I also have marketing at loud.social. And then if you want to check out our space and book with us, if you're ever in town, we are a lived-in bud and breakfast. So we're here to help and support 
but it is copperhousedet.com. Uh, the same there. So let's connect. And- Amazing. If I'm ever in Detroit, you know, I will be there. I really, I want to have this experience. And especially because it's not only just smoking, there's other experiences related to bud like that you're providing. You can even plan a photo shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> all the plants <laughs> yes well thank you so much we really appreciate you and it was really great just getting to know you and getting to know your story awesome thanks for having me um i miss you i miss you too <laughs> i love you so much and thank you so much for being on oh and celebrating and just being you thank you uh-huh. love y'all love you bye all right guys well this has been another episode of damsels in the dms until next time it's going down in the dms 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 we don't need them we just leave them please yeah it's going down in the dms bye thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.